Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The latest from Seven News with Angela Cox. Good evening and welcome. New tonight, Australia takes Russia to court over the downing of MH17. We hear from the man who lost both his parents. A residential building bombed in Kyiv, at least one dead, more injured. Our chief correspondent is on the ground there. Bali's back. We're in Indonesia as the first Aussie tourists in two years arrive. And the generosity of Australians gives a boy with cancer a fighting chance at survival. But first, to that legal action launched in the past few hours against Russia for shooting down MH17. Straight to political reporter Rob Scott in Parliament House, Canberra. Rob, this is just the latest effort to get justice for the 298 people on board MH17. Yeah, that's right, Ange. Uh, it certainly is. And it's uh, actually been almost eight years, can you believe it, since that plane was shot down. And over that time, there have been several other investigations, all really designed to get Russia to accept responsibility. In fact, Australia first declared that Russia was to blame in May 2018. And the Netherlands is still prosecuting three Russians and a Russian-backed Ukrainian rebel for downing the plane, charging them with murdering all 298 people on board. That's a trial which is being held in their absence because the Kremlin does not extradite its citizens. But the government says today's joint action between Australia and the Dutch is the first international legal case against the Russian Federation. And it's come about really because Russia pulled out of talks with both countries back in 2020 and has refused to come back to the negotiating table. Those talks were really set up to try to secure an apology and compensation for the victims' families. Now, the Attorney-General, Michaelia Cash, says the new legal action will rely on what she says is overwhelming evidence unearthed by a team of investigators, including that the plane was shot out of the sky by a Russian missile, that the missile launcher was brought into Ukraine from a Russian army base and was then taken back to Russia after the attack. The only conclusion that can be drawn from all of the evidence is that Russia's actions caused the downing of flight MH17 and that it bears responsibility. Now, the Foreign Minister, Maurice Payne, says while none of this will ease the grief for those who lost loved ones, it is an important step. OK, now, Rob, the timing of this can't be ignored. We've got Russia invading Ukraine. Yeah, that's right, Angie. You cannot ignore this timing. You certainly can't. The federal government says the invasion of Ukraine and the escalation of Russia's brutality really highlights the need to hold the Russian Federation accountable for its actions, particularly its violation of international laws. There's no doubt that Russia's invasion has been a painful reminder to those who lost loved ones on flight MH17. We can't take away their grief. But the Australian government is committed to pursuing every avenue to ensure that this horrific tragedy is not repeated. The new legal action comes on the same day that the government announced new sanctions on 33 Russian oligarchs, businessmen and their families, and that includes the owner of Chelsea Football Club, Roman Abramovich. OK, thanks so much, Rob. 
38 Australians were on that flight when it was shot out of the sky and in the years since, their loved ones have searched for answers and tried to fill the gaping hole in their lives. Among them, Paul Gard. Paul, your parents, Roger and Jill, were on MH17. Firstly, can we honour them by hearing what made them so special to you? Well, first of all, my parents were wonderful to us as, as kids, looked after us very well and, and gave us everything we needed. Um, and then secondly, my, my father was a dedicated pathologist, served the community of Toowoomba for many years, and my mum worked as a GP also in Toowoomba. So they were both very well loved by the community and by us, our, our family, and we missed them very much. So what are your thoughts this evening on this latest legal action that's been announced? It's another step that Australia is is taking. It's a logical progression from um, what has been a, a long process. Um, Australia has tried to hold Russia responsible at an interstate level, same as um, together with the Netherlands, um, and Russia is, has uh, refused to negotiate, and that's what what's brought us to this next action. Do you think you will get any justice at the end of this case? Well, it is a good question. I suppose a lot of the families would just like an acknowledgement of the facts and an apology. Um, I'm sure that would go a long way to making uh, families a little less upset. What about the four suspects who Dutch prosecutors say colluded to carry out the attack? Uh, what do you want to happen to them? Well, I think that it is important mainly as a potential deterrent that they are held to account. I think there will be a verdict towards the end of this year and it's looking very likely that, that it will be a uh, guilty verdict just because the, the case that's been presented is um, pretty convincing, I think. But, uh, you know, obviously that won't immediately lead to anyone's arrest or imprisonment, but it's at least a message that, you know, the international community does take these things seriously and there will be some consequences for people who get involved in these sorts of conflicts. Um, but, you know, it, it is a long road and um, personally I've always blamed the conflict itself for the loss of my parents and I'd, I'd really like to see the focus remain on trying to find a peaceful resolution to what is a horrific situation and our hearts really go out to those caught up in the, in the conflict in Ukraine right now. It's, it's dreadful what's going on there. I've been completely horrified by what Ukrainians are having to go through, um, how, how you know the, the ambitions of effectively one man has, has, has brought a whole country to this sort of um, devastation. Well, again, we're sorry for your loss. Thanks so much for joining the latest tonight. So let's get the very latest on the war in Ukraine now. Chief Correspondent Chris Reason is live for us on the ground in Kiev. Chris, we can see behind you the aftermath of a Russian shelling on a residential building just in the past few hours. Yeah, 5.30 this morning it struck and fortunately a lot of this building was evacuated anyway because people have just been too afraid to stay here in the capital Kiev. They've been making their way to the safety of the West. But those that were here uh, shaken out of their beds, obviously 5.30 in the morning, most of them asleep, when two missiles struck. And I can show you where, um, just around this point here, and straight into the centre of the building, right in there, bang, you can see that hole there, massively devastating. As I say, two missiles struck, according to uh, the reports of the locals here. The effect of those blasts has rippled out left and right and taken out every single apartment block here. 144 apartments in this place, nine-storey building. Um, 
Two people possibly dead, at least one confirmed dead, and 12 were taken to hospital. For an indication of the size of this blast, you can have a, come and have a look at this. Incredible, the, the, the clean-up has begun and underway within hours of this happening. In Australia, of course, it would be a crime scene, wouldn't it, for mm. weeks, but here they know exactly who's done it, the Russians. But, look, the more people taking some of their possessions out, I'll just let them go. But what they're standing on, if we can just get Simon to pan down here... A massive steel door. These steel doors blasted off the, the front of this building. Just an indication of the power of this blast. If Simon just has a quick look in there. We were invited in earlier by the Yaramalenko family who live on the first floor and 65 years old, she was describing how she was lying in her bedroom on the front of this building when the window and the, everything, the, the window sill and the entire bedroom just basically collapsed on top of her. She couldn't believe she survived, uninjured, staggered out of here. In fact, there she goes there now. Incredible, she's still walking around cleaning up her apartment. Quick shot of her, Simon, as she goes back in. But Ange, this is, you know, we're getting now into the northern suburbs of Kiev as the Russian advance continues on the capital. Every night you're reporting, Chris, I get more and more fearful for what you're going through over there. Does it, is it feeling as though Russia is about to take the capital? Uh, no, no, it's not. I've got to say the Ukraine resistance is simply extraordinary and the Russian strategy and military has been completely the opposite. Underwhelming, to put it bluntly, and in trouble. It looks like in so many ways they are struggling. Um, spread out, unable to be supplied, resupplied. We know we've got massive problems with their supply line issues, um, confidence, morale issues as well, loss of leadership breakdown in tactical uh, manoeuvring. All of the military experts writing in all the military press have been saying they are stunned about how poorly Russia is executing this. But that doesn't take away from the fact that things like this can happen at any time. And since this bombing, there have been two more across the city as well. You don't know in this city when a missile is going to strike or when a jet is going to drop a bomb. So that's the pressure that people are dealing with here. The people that are left, as I said earlier, most, many, at least half the city has already evacuated back into the safety of the West for what that's worth. And Just incredible, the resolve and the resilience of those locals there, as you say, cleaning up their apartment and staying. Thank you so much, Chris Reason. Correspondent Jeff Parry is live tonight in Lviv for us. Jeff, another round of peace talks has been taking place as we speak. Any sign of a breakthrough? No, nothing yet, Ange. These are by video link, unlike the previous three rounds of talks which were face-to-face, -face, including that meeting of foreign ministers in Turkey uh, last week. Um, the uh, position is that uh, nothing has come out of those earlier talks, but um, they're making noises now as though there may be some sort of resolution that both sides, both delegations can come to. Uh, we don't know what that is and they won't say. They say that perhaps uh, we might not know anything about that for another day or two. But the Ukraine's position um, is steadfast. They will uh, still demand that all Russian troops uh, be withdrawn from Ukraine, that the war is at an end and the Russian troops go home. We know that President Zelensky has offered to have talks directly with uh, President Putin. Putin, for his part, uh, has been resolute. He's told 
uh, other European leaders. He has no interest in uh, ending this war. And the way that it's being conducted is just full-on attacks on civilian populations, these uh, latest attacks uh, close to the Polish border. So um, Putin no, giving no signs of resisting. So it remains to be seen what comes out of these talks. In some other talks, Ange, the United States is seeking urgent talks with China. We know that uh, uh, US intelligence suggests that the uh, Ukraine, the, the Russians rather, have asked the Chinese for backup military equipment. It's obviously going through uh, a lot of uh, ammunition and that sort of thing. It wants China to assist it militarily and economically. That, of course, would um, prolong the, the war here in Ukraine, Ange. Indeed, and we are crossing to Beijing shortly. But before we do, Jeff, you have some details of an awful development tonight from that Russian bombing of a maternity hospital. Yes, um, sort of more sad news and a sea of sad news, isn't it? This was the incident that the Russians uh, described as fake news, the bombing of the maternity hospital in Mariupol, uh, which they said, that the Russians said was empty, that it was full of Ukrainian troops. And then we saw those pictures of that very heavily pregnant woman who was being stretched out. She was covered in blood. She was being brought out of that ruined maternity hospital. Angela, that, uh, that woman has died along with her baby. Um, so long, you know, so much for fake news. Angela. Indeed, just heartbreaking. Okay, Jeff Parry, stay safe. Thank you. Let's go to Beijing now. Journalist Patrick Falk is live for us there. Patrick, as we heard these reports out of the US that Moscow has asked China for military and economic help. Um, any confirmation or response from Beijing? Yeah, well, if the reports are accurate, China certainly isn't admitting it. Uh, China's embassy in Washington expressed surprise when these reports first emerged. They were first, first reported in the Financial Times and Beijing. The foreign ministry in Beijing also this afternoon here uh, said that this was all U.S. disinformation. So uh, it certainly doesn't want to be associated with these uh, reports. The Financial Times, you know, it quoted multiple U.S. officials. Uh, officials as having uh, revealed these details uh, to it. It also said that uh, these reports were coming amid suggestions or signs that China may be gearing up to partner or uh, provide some sort of support to Moscow. Uh, but the bottom line is, as we've heard from Washington, there will be a price to pay if China does help Moscow evade any sanctions or provide any uh, military support. It's made clear that it doesn't want to, uh, there to be any lifeline for Moscow from any country. So while the rest of the world has largely condemned Russia's invasion, the Chinese president has really stood by Vladimir Putin. How close are they? Yeah, well, I think that image of uh, President Putin stood by President Xi Jinping just hours before the start of the Winter Olympic Games here in Beijing is really burnished in people's minds. And, you know, at the time, uh, President Xi talked about the partnership between the two countries being uh, one of no limits, uh, you know. So uh, I think it's fair to say that they are very close indeed. We know that China and Russia are very much aligned with one another in pushing back against the West. We also know that 
Beijing also has no desire to see NATO expand in any shape or form. But it is a difficult balancing act for, for President Xi because, uh, remember, it doesn't want to be associated with acts of Russian aggression. And also, Moscow's really broken a cardinal, cardinal rule of Chinese foreign policy here by interfering with another country's uh, sovereignty. Uh, so, you know, as I say, it is a difficult situation for uh, President Xi Jinping to be in, but uh, they're playing it cautiously uh, for the time being. We know the Kremlin has gone to great lengths to manipulate the narrative about how this invasion is represented, represented to the Russian public. How is it being reported in China? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, and there is uh, certainly a lot of uh, controlling of, you know, information flows in state media. We're seeing certainly a softer side of what's going on, and some people saying, you know, that uh, the whole situation in Ukraine is being airbrushed, and we're seeing a lot of uh, sympathy for Moscow and support for Moscow, even online in particular, on social media platforms. People that have been calling for peace or advocating peace uh, have been censored, as well as people that have been criticizing President Putin. So, you know, China has tried to portray itself as being uh, impartial over this conflict, certainly in its international messaging. But, you know, the messaging that we're getting out of China from state media and online shows quite a different picture. And a lot of people might say it's a bit of a parallel universe in terms of the way it's being covered compared to what we're seeing in the West. And on the ground, what is the feeling of the Chinese people about what's happening in Ukraine? Where do their sympathies lie? Well, it's difficult to gauge. There certainly is a lot of support for Russia, and there are a lot of people that are anti-war as well. But, you know, analysts that I've spoken to have also suggested there's quite a big amount of apathy among Chinese citizens, perhaps because of the way it's being portrayed in Chinese state media, and perhaps because of the messaging from the Chinese government, which has refused to condemn Moscow uh, and has refused even to call this an invasion still. Uh, so, you know, there is, uh, there are a lot of people in China that perhaps aren't uh, quite as concerned. Analysts have, I've spoken to have said it's dangerous for people to be showing this sort of sense of apathy amid what's really a very serious situation happening in the world right now. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your insights tonight, Patrick. Around 5 million Australians will receive a boost to social security payments as the government tries to combat the rising cost of living. Network Finance Editor Gemma Acton is back with us at the desk. Gemma, uh, these payments, they're the biggest increase in payments in almost a decade. Yes, Andrew, they don't come a day too soon given what's happening now to household budgets being really squeezed around the place at the moment. If we look at exactly what the numbers are, uh, for carers, disability support recipients and uh, aged pensioners, we're seeing an extra $20 a fortnight for singles and $30 for couples. Uh, job seekers will be getting an extra $13 a fortnight and $18 for single parents. There's also some assistance coming for rent. But if we compare that to what we're seeing in terms of inflation, it still doesn't match that. If we look back to the last inflation figure we have, that was 3.5% for the year and that came in in December. And since then, uh, things have really only got worse. We've had the Russia-Ukraine conflict begin, which began in late February, seeing the huge blowout in oil prices, and that's really having such a tremendous knock-on effect to not just what we pay to drive around town, but the cost of transporting groceries around, for instance. So everything that lands on a supermarket shelf is feeling the impact of that. Uh, we're also seeing the impact of that conflict.
conflict on grain, for example, and commodity prices. Great for our producers of grains and commodities here in Australia, but not so good for consumers who end up uh, paying for it, whether it's increased in the cost of packaging or increased in the input prices into items like spaghetti. So I'm asking you to crystal ball it here, <laughs> but uh, do you have any idea how high these prices of petrol and groceries could go? Yeah, so we're not expecting any relief in the short term. We have seen a recent pullback in oil prices and that does take quite a while to feed through to what we actually pay at the service station. The floods have obviously compounded what's happening and the pressure uh, while the flood recovery is underway. A lot of produce was lost, a lot of harvest was lost, there's a lot of damage to farms as well. Uh, so expecting that pressure to continue. Longer term, this really has shown countries that are dependent on um, importing energy that they need to do more about energy security. So countries that are very heavily reliant on oil and gas from elsewhere are going to start doing more. A good example is the US. They will start doing more in terms of producing shale, but that's not a near-term salvation. So certainly not expecting price pressure to relent in the next few months, uh, but hopefully later this year we'll see uh, some improvement. We could also possibly see the oil cartel OPEC uh, raise its production, uh, but so far they've been pretty reluctant to do that. Okay, well, Jim, as I said, back at the desk, we're so loving having you back. Thank you. Great to be here. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Prime Minister will visit Western Australia tomorrow for the first time since the middle of last year. Scott Morrison was meant to travel to the state when it reopened its border earlier this month, but he came down with COVID. Labor is calling the trip the PM's annual apology tour to WA. 150,000 casual workers will be eligible for sick leave as part of an Australian first trial. It's a Victorian initiative, but it's already drawing criticism. Live now to Rochelle Brown, who's in Melbourne for us tonight. Rochelle, how will this scheme work? And retail, hospitality and aged care workers will be offered up to five days of sick or carer's leave per year. It's part of a two-year trial which will initially be funded by the state government. But once that trial does come to an end, an industry levy could be on the cards. Workers will be paid the minimum wage, which currently sits around $20 per hour, and they can apply for it from Monday. Now, it means a lot for casual workers. Some say they simply come to work uh, sick on a regular basis because they can't afford um, to take a day off. The Premier wants the state government to consider, well, the federal government rather, to consider rolling it out right across the nation. 
Insecure work is toxic. It's not just toxic in our state, it's a problem across the whole country. Uh, and a proper national government who is interested in reform would perhaps be part of this. So, Rochelle, casual workers would be loving this, but there's been some backlash to this idea. Who's unhappy with it? And small businesses aren't happy. They say no matter what you call it, a levy is simply just a tax. It's been a tough couple of years for business here in Melbourne, particularly for the hospitality industry. They may have to foot yet another bill and they're not too happy about that, given casual workers are already paid a little extra to try and make up for things like the lack of holiday and sick pay. Now, in terms of um, the announcement, it was made just hours ago, but some industry leaders are already calling for the idea to be scrapped, unless, of course, the government can step up and fund it long-term. Ange? OK, thanks so much, Rochelle. Another painful trip home for Sydney commuters tonight with more major delays on the city's train network. Let's go now to Tom Hartley, who's in Sydney for us. Tom, this is just the latest drama to plague the public transport network. Yeah, Angela, I mean, a total schmozzle, another one of those peak hour nightmares for train commuters, hundreds of thousands of them, or tens of thousands of them this evening, I should say, trying to get from A to B, uh, only finding out that there were more problems on the train network on so many of these lines. It was about 4.30 this afternoon uh, when some commuters found out at Town Hall that they had to do track repairs, so that threw them out, that caused delays and cancellations there. Then there were operational and communication issues right here at Central Station. Now that caused some major headaches, some major delays. We know that uh, a typical trip that would usually take people about 10 minutes was taking them well over an hour. As some commuters were, were left stranded at some stations waiting hours for their trains and when they, when they finally got on those trains they got stuck on them or, or delayed and sitting on the tracks for minutes and minutes and minutes waiting. I saw a post from one woman on Twitter who said she had a panic attack because she didn't know when she'd be able to get off the train. So these things just keep on coming. It was only just last month that there were enterprise agreement issues between the union and the government that caused a major action that that crippled the network for, for days and that, those effects were seen for, for weeks. Then there was the weather, the flooding, that's caused even more issues. But no excuses this time, really. The Sydney Metro issuing a statement saying they deeply apologised to customers. The delays were not acceptable and a full investigation into the causes of the incident will be undertaken with service operator Metro Trains Sydney. Now, the Transport Minister, David Elliott, uh, backed that, saying that Metro Trains should expect penalties. Now, we're expecting, uh, well, we're not ex sure what we're expecting tomorrow, but everyone is hopeful that these trains will start running on time very soon, Ange. Hopeful, but not optimistic. OK, thanks, Tom. Extra help has arrived to support with the mammoth task of cleaning up the floods disaster. Joel Dry is live tonight in Brisbane, Joel. We're getting assistance from a very powerful ally. We are, Ange, one of our oldest allies. The United States will lend its hand to this flood recovery by way of some American sailors. The USS Frank Cable steamed into the port of Brisbane this afternoon. It is now parked at the cruise ship terminal, a brand new piece of infrastructure that hasn't actually welcomed any cruise ships thanks to COVID. It is now enjoying the company of a military vessel. The uh, submarine tender had actually been in the Pacific on exercise. It was always coming to 
to Brisbane, but it was going to come here for some rest and relaxation. Now, instead of that planned shore leave, a good portion of the around 100 crew on board will now generously lend some manpower to this clean-up here in southeast Queensland, alongside many of the ADF personnel who have been assisting both here in Queensland and also New South Wales. It has to be said, at least here in Brisbane, most of the clean-up has already been done visibly. Attention is now very much turning to the recovery and the rebuild. Of course, the public infrastructure, the road, the bridges, the ferry terminals, that is a big job. But more importantly, it is the public issue. All of the people's homes that have been damaged and all of that will take time to repair. Over 100,000 insurance claims have been lodged already with an expected repair bill of over $1.5 billion. So while these sailors and their assistance is very much welcome, what we really need is tradies here in Queensland. A call has gone out to all those builders, chippies, electricians, uh, plasterers, all of them that live around the country. We are asking them to come to Queensland. There is plenty of work here to do. And so we've got welcoming uh, open arms, welcoming you all. First of all, we're going to welcome these sailors because we do very much appreciate the assistance they're going to give. Yes, indeed. The silver lining. OK, thanks, Joel. Let's take you live to Bali now, where the first Australian tourists have landed tonight without needing quarantine. Our reporter Tegan Doling is with them. Tegan, how's beautiful Bali looking tonight? Exactly like you would think, Andrew. It's absolutely beautiful. We are obviously in the wet season, so it is incredibly humid here at the moment. But for those who do come to Bali, you know those beautiful sunsets that we get, the purple and the pinks. We definitely saw that tonight. Right now, though, we're actually at the governor's house. This is known as the number one house in Bali. I just want to show you the front of it. It is absolutely incredible. Beautiful chandeliers, these incredible uh, elephants at the front as well. And he's invited us here because he has really uh, tried to drive home, trying to get the tourists back to Bali because he knows just how important they are to the local economy. So he's invited us here to show us around, to sit down and have dinner with him and to thank us and Australians for really wanting to get back and try and reboost this, this economy here. Yeah, because Bali really is one of our most popular holiday destinations. How much has it hurt the local tourism industry there? Yeah, even just driving around at the moment, shops that you would usually see that are open on the side of the road, they're not. They're all currently closed. There's a few shops that are starting to open. A lot of the Australian businesses, because as you know, there's a lot of Aussies that own businesses over here, they actually haven't been able to open yet because they know that there isn't that tourism here to um, have their staff be able to come on and work full time again. So it really has decimated the uh, local economy. We, we heard just before that they reckon around 50% of the entire economy here is made up from tourists and they haven't had any of that. So we know a lot of the local Balinese people during COVID, they had to shut all of their shops. They obviously weren't able to work in hotels. They weren't able to work as drivers. Mm. And they had to go back and um, work on farms. And one of our drivers today said he went and his children were um, picking rice and trying to sell rice. It really was a horrible situation for everyone here in Bali. And obviously, tourists couldn't come here either. And uh, even though there's no quarantine, it's not a free entry pass. What are the conditions to get in? No, that's exactly right. So there's a lot of paperwork you do still have to um, fill out. When we arrived today, there's a lot of queues you have to go through. First of all, you need to make sure that you get a PCR when you arrive. You also need to um, be able to show proof that you um, have got travel insurance and that you are covered for COVID with that travel insurance. And you also need to get a visa as well. So there is quite a few steps 
that you need to do once you get into um, Bali. But that's what the governor's trying to do. He's trying to get rid of those restrictions to make it easier and to make people really want to get back and start pumping some money here in the economy, Ange. Well, Tegan, you're making me quite jealous. It looks lovely and balmy there. Go and enjoy a cocktail or something. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now, there are concerns about what will happen to a U.S. astronaut on the International Space Station. Mark van der Heij is due to return to Earth in three weeks on a Russian spacecraft after a social media message from Russia's space agency boss. Some believe the American could be stranded in orbit. Space chief Dmitry Rogozin tweeted several times referencing sanctions against Russia and concerns for the ISS, which some interpreted as a veiled threat. Astrophysicist Sarah Webb joins me now from Melbourne. Sarah, you've worked with Mark van der Heij in the past, and this is unlikely, but what would happen to him if the Russians refused to take him back to Earth? is super duper unlikely. We were lucky enough for him to facilitate one of our swim burn microgravity experiments and all of the astronauts aboard the ISS are just genuinely incredible human beings. And I think what has happened is that this sentiment that Russia might not take him back on a Soyuz has been taken out of context and it doesn't appear to be true. It appears to be using misinformation um, in this obviously very complicated political uh, dynamic. But just say worst case comes to worst, he's unable to hitch a ride back on the Soyuz. That is okay. There's always a backup plan when it comes to space, many, many backup plans. And currently we do also have the Crew Dragons, which are run by SpaceX, which do deliver and take back astronauts. So he would always be able to come back down um, another way. But it's looking like that not be needed at this stage. Well, that's a relief, but just explain, because it is interesting, are there like treaties that exist to protect the space station from becoming sort of a political weapon? This is such a good question, and it's actually fascinating because when the space station was being constructed, obviously many nations uh, kind of bought in and uh, dedicated their science and their people. And with that comes a memorandum of understandings, MOUs, many different laws. So each bit of the space station, there's over 16 different modules on the space station, all built by different countries. All of them are governed by that country's law who have built them. So it does get very, very complicated when it comes to space. However, we do have dedicated space lawyers working to make sure that there is uh, laws and um, understandings in order and Things like uh, treaties, if they are broken, you will be sanctioned if you are a spacefaring nation. Sadly, it doesn't seem like Putin is too concerned about international law on Earth. So hopefully he is in space. If Mark leaves with the Russians as planned, as you say is likely, will they return to Earth in neutral territory? 
Yes, yes. So they will not be returning to Earth. A lot of people um, think that when we use Russian Soyuz, you return back to Russia. You actually return to Kazakhstan because that's where the Cosmodrome is. Um, so that's in Central Asia. Uh, and it's also a very good spot to land just orbitally from, from the world where, where you are trying to re-enter. Um, so he will land and be debriefed. And when you land coming back from space, the toll that space has on your body is absolutely extreme. So you do need to land in a place that has the facilities and the medical care able to get you back to being an earth-faring human again. Well, we hope he makes a safe return. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for your company this evening. From the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Angela Cox. Good night.